y'all doing? Well, I wanted to give you one more week of the raspy voice because I know you guys, I got a lot of emails and texts this week where I love the way your voice sounds, Pastor Joe. So I wanted to do it one more week for you. This is, uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. This is week 17 of our series on Psalm 119. Now, after this series is over, we're going to go right into Psalm 119 season two. No, I'm just, it's just a joke. In five weeks, we'll start a new series, uh, a 32-week series on Habakkuk. That's a joke, too. We're not doing that either. We're actually going to do a series on 2 Corinthians. I'd actually started it at Church of the Palms. I did about five weeks, and then, and then um, ministry there ended. But we're going to do it here, and I'm excited about it, mainly because the first five sermons are already written. That's the most exciting part. <laughs> no, but uh, I'm just doing a commercial. 2 Corinthians is like the uh, stepchild to first. Everybody loves 1 Corinthians, you know, the love chapter and all that stuff. Nobody people pay much attention to 2 Corinthians, so we're going to dive into it. It's about 13 weeks, and it's going to be good. I'm excited about it. But this week, we're doing week 17. The stanza is after the Hebrew letter, Ayin. It's called, What Love Looks Like. Don't you want to know what love looks like? Don't you? Do you or not? Answer the question. I'm going to show you. I want to know what love is. Can you feel it? Can you, can you relate? Yes, you can almost taste the love. So early this month, uh, Jocelyn Brubaker um, made a vanilla bean apple cheesecake for my wife's birthday. That's a picture of it off of her website. This thing was ridiculous. It was creamy. It was smooth. With just the right mixture of sweetness and tart. Even though it was 1,100 calories a bite, <laughs> it did not taste heavy at all. It seemed like, and my wife will tell you, it seemed like you could eat it and eat it and not get enough. Even though it was really fattening, it just felt so light and fluffy and creamy. Like, it can't be bad for you. It's got to be healthy. This example was fresh in my mind all week as I read and reread this passage that describes David's passion for God's word. Because what this passage does poetically is describe and define where we should be at this point in our series with God's word. At some point, if you've truly been given the gift of faith, what David describes is where you should be with God's word. Because in the end, what it really comes down to is this fact that loving God's word is a direct result of the gift of faith. And faith never does a bad job of saving or transforming anyone. So having said that, today's message will either be very encouraging to you or a bit worrisome. I don't know how else to describe it. So let's look at the passage. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 129 to 136. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I, listen to what he says. I open my mouth and pant, 
because I long for your commandments. That's pretty artistic, isn't it? Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So let's look at the historical part of this passage today. I want you to understand what we have here is a man consumed. He is a man who is trying his best in a human way to describe to you exactly what God's word does for his heart. A man, by the way, who was an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. So there is that dichotomy there, right? This ridiculous sinner who is in love with God's word. And he says, my, soul, my mouth opens and I pant for it. So let's look at some words here. Uh, Pele, which means it's a miracle, a marvelous thing, particularly God's act of redemption. That's what he means when he says wondrous. Your testimonies are wonderful. He says they are a miraculous act of redemption. Hard to understand. He says they're amazing. They're perplexing. Those are all good synonyms for the word wonderful in the first verse. Then we have the next word, petach. It means a grand opening, an unfolding, or a breathtaking reveal. That's what he says when he says, um, the unfolding of your words gives light. The, guy, the word, idea of unfolding is, when it was revealed to me, it took my breath away, and it gave me new insights into the world. Then there's another Hebrew word. The word light, unfolding gives light. It's the Hebrew word or, the break of glorious day, set on fire that it reveals flaws, direction to the simple. So this this word light that he uses is quite dynamic. Yes, it's bright and it's shining and it's brilliant, but it is a light that reveals flaws. It's a light that can cause a little bit of discomfort, maybe even some pain. But it's also a light that gives direction to those who are simple, those who have not learned yet. It's an amazing word, is it not? So you see each one of these words he uses have multi-layers. But then there's one more word. I want to talk about that word pant. Isn't that kind of stick out in the passage? My, open my mouth and I pant for your word. Sha'af. To inhale eagerly. To desire. To devour. To swallow up. He says, when my mouth opens, I'm eagerly panting. I want it. I desire it. I want to swallow it up and consume your word. Kind of like what we were with that cheesecake. Do you know how hard it was to make that thing last for more than a day? I wanted to give it all away because it was 1,100 calories a bite. But see what David does with these words, he describes how his passion for the word of God affects him. He's saying, I have such a passion for God's word, this is what takes place in my heart. First of all, the idea, there's a spiritual impact. My soul keeps them, he says. There's an intellectual impact. It gives me light and understanding. 
It affects his soul. It affects his mind. And then he describes something that many of us take for granted. There is a physical impact. He describes a yearning, a feeling in his stomach, in his gut that he gets when it comes to hearing and learning God's truth. Its majesty takes his breath away. And what we saw in the life of David historically was a constant migration back to God's word. It was the dominant force in his life. More than relationships, more than money, more than power, more than sex. Even in the midst of his greatest sins and failures, his heart, for some reason, always panted and ran back to the truth. It was his passion. He articulates this passion in a way that is ingeniously simple, is it not? Yet all-encompassing simultaneously. It's simple yet broad. He says, my mind, my soul, and my body are impacted by my love for God's word. In fact, this characteristic language of how he describes his passion for God's word is some of the internal evidence that proves that David wrote Psalm 119. Another passage he says it is in Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He uses that word pant in other places. Here's an example. And you see this theme over and over again throughout the Psalms when he describes God's word, a thirst, a longing, a panting, a desire. So let's look at the theological impact of panting. We really want to focus on that concept. The psalmist says that he panted for the word of God. He longed for it like his mouth watered for it, like that cheesecake when I first saw it. I said, we got to wait till after dinner. (laughs) See, when you desire the word of God, when your desire for God's word gets to this point, it's tied to an understanding. Here's why. Of grace and mercy and redemption. You can't help but love God's word when you understand it's not a list of rules. It's a story of redemption and grace and mercy and reconnection to the father. The result of this is a level of intimacy with God's word that creates the following behaviors. Number one, confidence in verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Here's what he's saying. Look at me. Isn't that interesting if you compare it to what Adam did and Eve when they sinned? They tried to cover themselves up. David says, I'm naked before you. Look at me. Turn and look at me. And love me, which is your customary habit with those who love you, with those that you love. See, confidence and mercy builds a relationship with God and his word that is not ashamed of what it might tell you. It basically says no matter what, look at me, Father. Look at me. No fear of God looking at you because you know that grace has been applied And God gives mercy to his children through redemption. 
And we learn about this grace and redemption through his word. This is one of the key ways God's word becomes so precious to us that we can boldly go to God and pray for mercy, fully expecting him to impart it. I will not be ashamed when he turns his attention to me. It brings about that kind of prayer, the kind of prayer that Paul talked about in Philippians 4, 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And he says in Hebrews 14, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what time of need means? Time of failure. You know what else it does for you when you really have a panting for God's word? It gives you consistency. Verse 133 to 135, he says, keep steady my steps according to your promise. You see consistency there? And let no iniquity get dominion. It doesn't mean you'll never fail. It means it doesn't have dominion over you. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Consistency in God's word is born out of, this is important, consistency in, in God's word is born out of inspiration, not restriction or compulsion or guilt. You don't become a good follower of God's word because you feel bad enough about who you are or that you're motivated enough to be religious. That's not where consistency comes from. Some approach the word of God as a task that results in occasional runs of spirituality. Anybody can relate to that? You have a run. I'm doing good spiritually right now, man. It results in occasional spiritual highs, but it's not really spiritual growth and fellowship with God. Compare that to seeing the word of God unfolding as miraculous and breathtaking. Do you see the difference between compulsion and inspiration? This mindset is what creates a lifestyle of inspired, consistent living. This is a turn, is a lifestyle that makes heavenly dad smile or shine down. Look upon me, not because I'm good at your word, but because your word has been applied to me by grace. This is where I get that part of my prayer. You guys have heard me say for many years, make heavenly dad smile. It comes out of this study. Dad, look at me and smile. Seems like impossible, right? With all the sin in my life, you want a list? Well, too bad. You're not getting one. But the point is, <laughs> I'm not afraid to let God look at me because I understand grace. John 14, 23 to 24 says, Jesus answered him and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. He doesn't say he who is afraid of me will keep my words. That's not what he says. He says he who loves me will keep my words. He who pants for me. The next thing or the last thing that panting for God's word does gives you compassion. In, one, in verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The psalmist in this verse is crying over some person. He's not crying over some personal hardship. He's not crying because Saul's trying to kill him. 
He's not trying because his son died because of his sin with Bathsheba. He's not crying because the Philistines are about to attack. He is crying because he is distressed because the word of God is being disregarded. Guys, if we are truly in tune with God's word, it will grieve us when it is disregarded. Because we fully understand, not, here's why, because we understand the tragic results of a disregarded word of God, of a life that is not connected to Heavenly Dad through his word. Look what Paul says. Paul gives a great example of this in Romans 9, 1 to 3. Here's Paul talking. <clears throat> Paul saying, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness to this in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Hear what he's saying? My heart is so grieved for the fact that my kinsmen and my brothers are going to face judgment. Sometimes I wish I could be accursed so that they could be connected. Now, I don't know that I believe him, but that's what he said. When was the last time you wept over a concern that wasn't related to yourself? When was the last time you cried about something that had nothing to do with pain that you were experiencing, but pain for someone else? When was the last time you wept over a person who was disobedient and out of God's will? This is one of the results of panting for God's word. Man, I wish they could understand how much better life is in grace my heart aches for them because they just don't get it. I wish I could help them. That's what David says. He says, my tears flow. All right, let's talk about the devotional part of this. It's time. So church, the goal of every believer is we're going to start to meddle a little bit and make you uncomfortable. The goal of every believer should be able to get to this level of intimacy and inspiration with God's word. Guys, that's been the whole point of this series. After today, we only have five left, and that's it. It's crucial for us right now to stop in this process and evaluate where you are. I'm calling us out. I'm challenging us right now, today, to not take this concept for granted any longer. Today, right now, is the time for some open-heart surgery. In ninth grade, I had a youth pastor teach me three stages of a person's relationship with God's Word. You ready? The first stage was medicine. It tastes bad. you got to force it down. But you know you need it to get better. Maybe your relationship with God's word is like that right now. It doesn't taste very good. I got to force myself to take it. It reminded me of those little, little rascals, the castor oil. You all remember those? But there was another stage of our relationship with God's word. It was called dry cereal. It's nutritious. It's bearable. But it's dry. Sometimes the word of God can be dry, right? It's, I know it's good. I mean, it's not bad, but I sure wish I had some whole milk. Maybe a spoonful of sugar. I mean, that's rice checks or checks mix. 
That's nasty without sugar and milk, but whatever. <laughs> the point is, it's not medicine, right? But it's still kind of like, all right, I'll eat it. But then there's the third stage. This describes where the psalmist is, where we need to be sometimes. We call it peaches and cream. It's smooth. It's sweet. It's tasty. And right before you get it into your mouth, your mouth salivates. You pant for it. Those are the three stages. Those are the three stages. We have medicine. Ugh. All right, I'll take it, but I don't want it. We have dry cereal. It hurts going down a little bit. Then we have this, the peaches and cream. Where are you right now? If I forced you to verbalize where you are right now, which would you say? I mean, the simple answer is, well, I'm dry cereal. I'd say like 70% of Christians say I'm dry cereal. I want to challenge you to face it and name the stage you're in right now in your mind. You personally, name it. Name your stage. Because really, none of this means anything if we aren't helping you foster a greater love for God's word. It means nothing. Church is pointless except for maybe some friends, some good music. It's pointless if our church does not grow in its love for God's word. It means nothing if we go through 22 weeks of this series about loving God's word and your passion for God's word is the same as it was when we started. It's a waste of time. If the time you spend with it, how you feel about it, how it impacts you stays the same. So I'm asking you today, I want you to be a little brave. Introspection here. Evaluate where you are. And if you're not in peaches and cream, I want you to ask God to help you develop the type of connection to God's word like the one David had. Because at some point, church, in your life, and I'm not saying we can't go in and out of certain stages, we can, but at some point in your life, you should be able to truly say without, with integrity and identify with peaches and cream. If you can't, maybe you haven't been given the gift of faith. You should be able to, at some point, identify with this. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. You remember that verse in Psalm 119? Church, I'm telling you, it's time. We have five weeks left. And the next five weeks are going to describe the things that keep us from being peaches and cream. There's a lot of them. But the psalmist goes through them. What I'm hoping today is that you will courageously, with integrity, identify where are you? Medicine, dry cereal, or peaches and cream? I'm your pastor and I love you. My desire is that you learn how to pant for God's word.